Have you got any questions before we start? Just that my dog is coughing. <laughs> if the if the dog interrupts, that's great. Fab. Does Jessie? The more dogs, the better. Don't, really. Don't. I'll bring the dog here and I'll give you a, a show because she's gorgeous. She's my baby. Yes. <laughs> yes. Show us the dog we want to see. Hello, and welcome to the We Do Hope podcast from Amos Trust. I'm Jessie. And I'm Tilly, and we'll be your hosts, as each episode will be joined by fascinating guests from around the world, exploring what hope means to them. We'll be jumping in at the deep end, talking to people about some of their biggest challenges and where they find hope in their daily lives. These conversations might inspire, surprise or move you, but we'll come away with a little bit more hope, hopefully. So let's dive in. Hi, Jessie. How are you today? I'm great, Tilly. How are you doing? I'm good. And I had a question for you, which is, do you remember the first election you ever got to vote in? I do. The first general election I ever voted in was the 2010 election. And I was 20 years old and living in Sheffield as a student. And I mean, we just had the financial crash a couple of years before. It was a very kind of... um, I feel like there were lots of protests and people getting out on the street. Mm. And the main issue I remember was student fees were a huge thing in that election. Um, And yeah, I was meeting people that from all different backgrounds and kind of, it was a bit of a political awakening for me really around that time. Um, And I mean, I was in receipt of like a bursary to help me pay for uni. So I remember being really passionate about that. Um, And yeah, I just remember going and being really excited to vote. Um, Mm -hmm. How about you? When when was the first time you voted? So the first time I was allowed to vote was May 2012, which is exactly 10 years ago now. And I went with my mum and my dad and the dog and it was all very exciting. And I, and I remember that feeling of like true satisfaction of being able to go in there, mark the mark the ballot, put it in the box and feel like you're taking part in democracy, exercising the right to vote. And I literally had the same feeling the other week because we had a local council and mayoral election in Sheffield uh, this month. And I had that same feeling of that sort of exercising my democratic right to vote yeah I saw your post on Insta you were getting people out you're like galvanizing people I'm a real sucker for the polling station signs as well I think they're so nice I like the font Um, (laughs) and dogs at polling stations obviously or dogs at polling stations we love Um, and I I was just reflecting as well and I was looking at like the number of people who turned out to vote in 2012 versus now and it always seems really wild to me that everyone who is able to vote and registered to vote is not voting. And it's something that like I, I'm confused by, but would love to learn more about. And maybe our guests today can help with that. But also um, this sort of young, the young younger demographics who are historically a group with a lower voter turnout. And there've been moments recently where it feels the tide might be turning and 2020 saw the highest level of voter registration. There's been a flurry of young MPs and councillors being elected, which hints that there's like a youth engagement, which is increasing, which is really amazing. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I guess like when we look back at the past few years, it feels like the news cycle has just been relentless, hasn't it? I mean, to name a few, we've had Grenfell the Windrush scandal, war in Syria, Brexit, which obviously galvanised loads of young people um, to talk about politics. We've had Mm -hmm. then the pandemic, war in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. cost of living crisis. It just feels absolutely relentless. And people have been talking about politics more than ever, young people especially. And I think it's because even if you're not into politics or you don't think you are, you know, politics is coming for you really because it affects every area of our lives at home and abroad. And especially now with the climate crisis accelerating, we're facing huge challenges that, you know, call for absolutely huge responses. Mm -hmm. Um, And we sometimes see disillusionment with the whole thing, maybe because people feel not represented or it's a mark of privilege. Perhaps you feel your life is okay either way, so you don't need to be interested. But we're really interested in how politics can be a source of hope and change. 
Yeah. So today on the podcast, we're not going to be talking about party politics, but instead about the political system itself and politics, like where we find the hope in politics and what the realities are of being a member of parliament. So we see politicians on TV or in the news. um, But what about the people kind of behind those people doing the job? Um, And whichever party you're working for, it is a really hard job. You know, it's demanding across every single area of your life. You're met with opposition every single day including dissatisfied dissatisfied constituents that's quite hard to say if you want to say this (laughs) Um, you know budget cuts restrictions you're in the public eye it can be vulnerable or even dangerous sometimes and let alone having to spend half your time in two different places between parliament and your constituency Um, and you can lose your job at any time really with elections and whatnot so um, who would do this job well Our guest today is one of those people. So Olivia Blake is the Labour MP for Sheffield Hallam and the Shadow Minister for Climate Change and Net Zero, elected in 2019 at 30 years old. So I actually went to uni with Olivia, who I called Lo at the time. It feels really formal for me to call call Olivia. (laughs) And we lived together at Sheffield Uni in Endcliffe Village, which I know you know well as well, Tilly. We're not a very diverse group today, are we? It's like a tiny little bubble of Sheffield. It's a total bubble today. (laughs) It really is. Um, And like my first kind of memories of Lo or Olivia are her cooking these massive roast dinners for 10 plus 18 year olds who had no idea how to cook and yeah I just had such good fortune of being put into her halls really um because she she just used to whip up these massive dinners you know like veggie options for everyone and yeah she basically the perfect taught me how to cook yeah exactly so I'm very excited to talk to her today and have a little Sheffield reunion so welcome to the podcast Olivia Blake Yay! Hi. I know you're. How are you doing? I know you're incredibly busy. You're just like answering calls in between. <laughs> yeah, so it's always always busy. There's never a dull moment in this. The work yeah, it's so never funny. Stops. I always think that, like, um, you know, think back to university, and I don't know if you know this, but I got the nickname in the Labour Party as Mother Labour because <laughs> 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 I was always trying to feed people. Yes, like, yeah, doing that like is vegan so pilots and all sorts. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a vegan. You're definitely, yeah, definitely a, feeder. a feeder. I still follow the rules that you taught me, which is like add onions and garlic to everything and it will make it taste better. Yeah, yeah. And I still do that to this day. Like my partner's like, can you not, can you make a dish without these? I'm like, it literally no. makes me think of you every time. <laughs> just like, you want some flavour, chuck this in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Tilly's in Sheffield as well, just around the I corner am. from, yeah, in Walkley, Sheffield. Amazing. Yeah, it's a great city. It's the place to be. Very green. That's what it's known for. And so many dogs, so many dogs near us. And this is a dog heavy podcast, as we know. But um, should we maybe get on with? uh, Yeah, let's get on with some questions. (laughs) And you're in Sheffield today. Yeah, so I'm just yeah. I'm just in my office in Sheffield. Um, so yeah, uh, I come back up um, on a Thursday night usually, but today I came home yesterday night, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I'm, that's where I am today, rather than in London. And we've got the dog joining us as well. We do have the dog with us today. <laughs> Aww, lovely. Uh, well, we always like to start with the same question to all of our guests. And that question is, what's something that's made you hopeful this week? I mean, I guess there's like quite a few things, but um, I, I always try to look for hope in a lot of different things. But I think, you know, earlier in the week, I um, I went to a school in my constituency uh, and was speaking to 16 and 17 year olds um and taking their questions on the climate and I think it's just that's always going to give you hope because Mm -hmm. you know you're looking at young people who are going to be the leaders the scientists the campaigners of the future and they're all so passionate about um climate justice um and they always ask such intelligent questions and I just feel like 
the hands that that they that we're in good hands yeah <laughs> absolutely them, definitely um in the future so that always gives me kind of hope um yeah. also just cud- a- cuddles with my dog always gives me hope for the future <laughs> oh, things can't go wrong way. when you're cuddling your dog right <laughs> oh, so true it's like a dopamine oh. hit every time absolutely um can you tell us a bit about what a typical day I mean there probably is no such thing but what is a day in the life of a member of parliament yeah that's an interesting question so um I found out last year I've got ADHD and um I think that the life of a politician explains why I'm in politics with ADHD (laughs) because it's high adrenaline you're always doing something different and it's really really stimulating like you've dipping into loads of different topics and so you know it depends where I am so in the constituency you know I usually have my advice surgery on a Friday uh, so meeting constituents about their issues and trying to see if we can help Um, and then I might go out and do a couple of visits to different um, businesses or schools or projects in the constituency and meet people who want to talk to me about um, campaigns Um, and you know this week I'm doing an event on uh, democracy and the kind of rise of authoritarianism which I'm really looking forward to doing as part of the festival of debate so that's kind of like Mm. the stuff that I get up to locally and also protests and picket lines and all that stuff that you get invited along to which is really important um really important to get get seen I think because you know especially at the moment a lot of people feel under attack so I think it's important to show solidarity to people Mm. um and then the other other side of it is down in Westminster which I have to say you know I was a councillor before I became an MP um so I thought I kind of knew what I was getting myself in for (laughs) but it's a completely bizarre world um and right from that first moment of kind of getting to Westminster being given a laptop and basically being told off you go um um, it's been a little bit um, like finding your feet and, and very much in the thick of it, which, mm. yeah, maybe we could talk about later. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so you know, I'll be meeting people um, a lot down there who, who are campaigning on certain changes they want to see to legislation. Um, you know, there'll be a lot of kind of debates happening um, you know, I've led quite a few debates on miscarriage and different issues uh, since I've been elected, LGBT rights and um, climate, obviously, as well. Um, and then because I'm on the front bench, I, I sometimes speak at the dispatch box um, and tackle Alex Sharma at COP26 questions, which is quite um, quite an interesting thing to be doing. So, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just sitting in the chamber listening to debates yeah meeting loads and loads of people um so yeah it's quite a busy and in, in, intense job and like for example I didn't get back to Sheffield till after midnight last night so yeah you know it's it's I think people think that MPs don't work hard but quite often we're there till 10 o'clock at night and um, mm. just waiting for mm. votes and, and things like that so it is pretty it's full all on. consuming really it's oh just yeah no days on. off <laughs> yeah no days off. I, this Never. is a this is a silly question I think but how comfortable are those benches awful well I'm <laughs> they look they look horrendously uncomfortable Do you know what some people think they're really comfy but they're they tend to be a lot taller than me so in the okay chamber, you have to like bob to get the attention of the speaker and because I'm sh- I'm like literally stand up and then sit back down to kind of get their attention and because I'm quite short every time I stand up the chair like hits the back of my knees and then makes me <laughs> sit down a bit quicker than I was in- anticipating so oh. yeah so you're, you're a speedy bobber yeah speedy bobber with dangling, yeah, blinking dangling, you miss legs, it. dangling legs off the bench <laughs> I'm a little short woman oh <laughs> now going back to kind of 10 years ago well longer actually when mm. we first started uni it makes me feel really old um I, know, so. I remember a time when you were adamant that you weren't going into politics and you kind of you were you wanted to be you were going into science you were studying was it bio medical science yeah medical medical science and what changed and can you describe a little bit your journey to where you are now you've touched a little bit on it on on being a counsellor but how did you go from student to studying science to MP and shadow climate minister yeah so you're absolutely right um and I think you know, my mum was a counsellor, local counsellor, and I kind of seen how much she'd given 
to to that and I just thought no way I'm I'm never going to do that like I was obviously in the party and you know had my very strong views I probably argued a bit too viciously with some people about them at some point <laughs> um, back then when I was a bit more young and feisty but um but yeah you're still so feisty like. I am still feisty I know <laughs> I can't get away from that um and um yeah fearless as well I think someone said to me I was like oh dear um but yeah and I think I think kind of at that time I just remember having conversations with so many people about the 2010 election and I was adamant that the Lib Dems and Tories were going to go into coalition before and I remember having a bit of a chance meeting with with the candidates in in Sheffield um Nick Clegg and Paul Scriven um, and I was just walking to uni and they stopped me and they said oh we're going to scrap Trident and scrap tuition fees and I just went oh yeah which Tory government's <laughs> going to let you do that then <laughs> Like completely obnoxiously, like I'm a bit horrified that I did that. But you know, were they like, "Shit, we've stopped the wrong student here"? Yeah. Like, oh <laughs> no, what have we did? Like, you're voting Labour, aren't you? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I am voting Labour. Jog on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then after that, I was kind of like, so many people voted Lib Dem. Like, so so mm. many friends of mine voted Liberal Democrat. You know, the Labour Club was about three men and a dog. Honestly, it was, it was, you know, it was not the popular thing to be in Labour in 2010 at all. Um. But, you know, I, I mean, I joined the party in kind of resistance to the Iraq war, which I think confused a lot of people because my local party were really active against the Iraq war. But that was still a big issue back then. Um, and, and you know, rightly so. I, you know, I think I think people were really disappointed with Labour around that. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it kind of it kind of got to a point when Nick Clegg got elected and I started going on all these protests and you know was very much re-engaged with politics and I actually stood in an internal Labour Party election before I stood for election um to be like the youth rep and that was a very interesting experience and um you know I didn't I didn't get it but it was a national um it was a national campaign and you had to get 50 other young members to kind of nominate you so it's actually you know in some cases you needed more nominations than the leader of the Labour Party from the the Mm -hmm. PLP so um yeah so it was really really important to me and I think that there was a surge of kind of energy of resistance at that point which you know I kind of felt like no you can't do this to our generation um, you know, I knew that austerity was coming and I knew what that would mean for our communities. And, you know, like Jesse, I was on I was on the partial grant, um, you know, you know, not from a exceedingly affluent background or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I just I just feared so much for our generation and what would happen. And I just remember stuff like really struggling to get a job when I left university and there just been like no opportunities at all. And like, yeah, God, um, I remember that was like grad schemes. What, what were they? Yeah. There was just nothing. It would all dry up. Nothing. And, mm. and yeah, like I feel like young people were like the hardest hit by that at that point um, of the recession and, and where we were at. Um, so yeah. And then I, after I stood for this kind of national position, I'd also missed out a massive bit of this I, I worked through my, my degree in um, kitchens and other things yeah and, I remember that yeah I used to work at the students union in mm-hmm. the kitchen yeah um, so I kind of joined my trade union the GMB um, and I kind of led the living wage campaign it was probably mm-hmm. after you left uni actually Jesse. but um, no, yeah I remember hearing about it though and I yeah. remember seeing the posters yeah they were good so the university had this um, poster campaign that was like aim higher and it had like mm-hmm you know, classic kind of students jumping into the air, like floating. Um, into the so future. Into the future. Like high school like, musical. Yeah, it was like really <laughs> cheesy. So we kind of ripped that off and we did like a go higher, no, pay higher. <laughs> so right. um, as part of the living wage campaign. So we got loads of students, dressed them up like students and then got us all to like pull fully fa- funny faces and jump in the air and, and completely ripped it off. But um, and then, yeah, I kind of got headhunted to become a counsellor. I'm really rambling. Um, headhunted you've done a, a lot of things you've done a lot of things so you um, when you were headhunted to be a counsellor you were really young then and also yeah. weren't you the first what you were what you were really young woman and there weren't many women on on the council weather at that point um there was quite a few women and we had a woman leader 
Um, okay. But it was, it was, um, it, I was definitely the youngest woman they'd had mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and one of my proudest things is that I wasn't the youngest woman when I left. I'd brought on mm. a lot of people who and encouraged a lot of young women to cook, mm-hmm. put themselves forward um, for election. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't win my first election, though. I lost it quite <laughs> badly. So I think it's important to lose sometimes because it, it yeah. teaches you a lot. Um, mm. But yeah, and then I, I represented Walkley, actually, Tilly, for six hey. years. Um, yeah so and then and then decided to stand for parliament um, which was yeah can you tell us a little bit about what that was like doing the campaigning for to become to become a member of parliament yeah full-on um a lot of yeah. talking a lot of talking to people um and you know we had a um kind of difficult situation in Sheffield Hallam because the former MP kind of fell quite dramatically from grace a lot of people were angry because it's the first time they had a Labour MP um so there was a lot of trust to rebuild with people um so I really had to demonstrate what I would be doing as an MP as a candidate like so much activity and and trying to listen and help people with their issues and take on the campaigns that people cared about um and yeah I think we ran a really successful campaign and so many people got involved in our campaign mm. it was definitely people powered um yeah, and yeah. God, you must go through blister plasters like there's no tomorrow yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah I, do. <laughs> oh, I remember that day so well because I remember being in the office and like seeing that you'd won your seat and being just so proud and like I couldn't believe oh. I called my mum to tell her I was just so proud and we must oh. be so weird going into the Houses of Parliament like that first kind of day as well and just surreal yeah. It's it's so surreal. So you win on the Thursday and then you're in on the Monday. <laughs> so you I think that's absolutely wild. <laughs> that's such a quick turnaround. Absolutely. <laughs> and, but the, the strange thing is, is you don't actually get an office for like months. So you're like wandering around completely lost with not really like a base. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's bizarre. But, you know, it's um it's been amazing. And, you know, ha- kind of had a unique experience. 10 weeks in having um having covid getting covid and then the lockdown from there so it's been a definitely um difficult and surreal time to become a new mp um but yeah yeah, one that i've really enjoyed and and you know i think there's there's definitely been things that i've been pushing on that we've managed to get governments to take notice of and change policy Mm. on so it's amazing. And you're not just an MP or the shadow minister for climate change and net zero. That's right. That's, it's like such a huge job title and also responsibility. So, you know, how, how do, where do you start with this sort of thing? You know, can you talk us a little bit about the specific things you're working on right now? Yeah, so definitely. And I think it's the, the big question of our moment, isn't it? Like, how are we going to survive and, um, and preserve our earth really um it is that kind of existential at the moment so um certainly I think there's a lot of work to do and it's about actually bringing people together working across all our different departments in the Labour Party to make sure our policies are as robust as they can be on this and with the energy crisis as well I've been working very closely with um the rest of the team which is Ed Miliband and Alan Whitehead um Alan is in charge of kind of energy policy and Ed's kind of the secretary the shadow secretary of state so he he's been doing a lot of that work as well so it's kind of a team effort um and we work quite closely on a lot of these different challenges um I'm we've We've done a big pledge of funding, which is obviously necessary, um, of 28 billion a year uh, for 10 years. So I'm kind of coming up with um, working with the party to come up with ways to get the most out of that money and investment. It's a huge topic, isn't it? I mean, it's just where do you start? But if you had to pick like three kind of priorities, like small things or big things, what would you pick for the cli- yeah. on the climate crisis? That's that's such a good um good question I think um there's kind of three yeah definitely three more than three um I think in the immediate term and one thing I've been pushing quite hard on is is retrofitting of our homes in in the Mm. UK um because you know especially in Sheffield actually we have some really poor quality housing um Mm. and And very cold very cold yeah and actually the UK 
is housing stock has got worse because our planning regulations haven't been good enough to to improve so they've actually got worse in the last 10 years in terms of how um heat efficient our homes are and we've got the worst housing um insulation in in the whole of europe so it's embarrassing isn't it? it it is embarrassing and um and shameful so you know i I think that, you know, one of our kind of flagship policies is to, you know, spend six billion a year for 10 years to get every home that needs it, the insulation and the energy efficiency that they need. And Mm -hmm. the reason I picked that one first is because we do have a cost of living crisis um, and, and it would help with that, you know, it would if, help you're, that. if your bills are lower than your... Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if your house is warmer, you're not going to use as much energy. Um, so I think it's it's that something that can bring people along with a lot of this as well. It would create a lot of jobs, good quality jobs as well, um, and would really give power back into our communities, I think, to kind of actually say, no, this is the difference we're going to make. Um, so that's the first one. The second really is, um, you know, really pushing for more green energy in the UK. Um, we've we've seen so much go wrong with our policy on energy. That's why we're exposed to the kind of energy crisis that we are. We could be doing so much more on solar, onshore wind, offshore winds than we've been doing, and hydrogen and all these other developing um, things as well. So I think I think there's a lot that we could be doing, and we need to do a lot more to deliver on on what what's been promised on that as well and then the final one is kind of around global finance because it's quite easy to get um fixated on the impact locally um and i think it's important and like obviously everyone can do a small thing and make a big change right but until we fix some of the issues in the system the global impact of this is going to be very difficult. So I think mm-hmm. that actually we need to see much more around global finance and an adaptation actually for places which are get, already getting hit um, hit by uh, the climate emergency um, and rapid climate change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I really thought um, that you might mention Pete Peatlands. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I love Pete. Which is, is, is Peatlands a fancy name for bogs? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I, like, yeah. I heard you talking about Peatlands a lot. I was listening to a podcast with you the other day and yeah, you were like, you love your Peatlands. I love Peatlands. <laughs> I do love Peatlands. And it's, we're really lucky because in Sheffield Hallam, we have, we have Peatland bogs. Um, and yeah. Really? So, yeah, well, do we you? do. We do. <laughs> um, so get out into the peaks and see them, but they're in a bad condition. So mm. yeah, I do, a, I do a lot of like championing of, of Peatlands and not just because um, they're a great carbon store, but they actually store water <laughs> as well. So stop flooding. So so you get Big out there and love, <laughs> yeah, love, love your Pete. local bog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't touch it. Leave it where it is, yeah. but just lo- love it from afar, respectfully. <laughs> get in there. Like, there's so many, so much interesting wildlife, and I think that's the other side of it. I think I'm really, as a scientist, as Jesse kind of said, um, you know, I'm really keen that people learn more about nature and get into nature and have access to it. So I think it's really, really important um, mm. to. That's the other side, but yeah, I love Pete. <laughs> if you take one thing away from this podcast it's love your Pete um so now we kind of tend to move on to the second half of our podcast which is all about hope um so we kind of like to yeah focus in on hope and it's it's some big questions and we like to you know get quite deep and think about it but what does hope feel like to you this is a huge question but you can kind of relate it to your work or you know just life in general but if you were going to define hope what does what kind of does it feel like um well my dog just came in just as you were saying that to lick my hand um and she's gone um but no I think hope for me you know I think I've always kind of been taught um that if you're unhappy about something you can get you can be the one that goes out and fixes it you know you can be the one that goes out and tries to rally people around an idea um you don't have to wait for somebody to kind of drop it into your lap so I think I think for me hope is is always activism um and you know that feeling of empowerment um 
and recognizing that even in a system where things might feel like they're rigged against you or you know things are stuck and they, they're not going to change like those small wins um are so so important and on that journey and you know like getting the living wage at the University of Sheffield um was amazing that felt like a big win at the time you know arguing for better funding for the council and getting some money through you know those sorts of things have been great but like against a backdrop of quite a dark and dismal time um it's been really important and I think you know I I I, I see a lot of activists get um burn out and worn down so I think the other side of hope is like don't do it on your own um and it, it has to be about building coalitions um you can't you can be the act actor but you also need to build coalitions around you and support uh, and Mm. be kind to each other because if we're not kind to each other what's the point of hope (laughs) oh my gosh put it on a poster that was what a soundbite thank you Olivia um I think kind of related to that question is as a young woman who identifies within the LGBT community you know, do you find it easy to be hopeful within the political system that you are, we are in and you work in? I'd say it's a daily challenge, um, especially around LGBT rights at the moment. It's definitely feeling like things are going, um, you know, forwards but backwards at the same time. So, you know, mm. it's so great to see some of the TV programs that I wish had been around when I was growing up. And I, you know, I first came out when I was 14, didn't have a great response. So went, you know, went back in the closet until, you know, my mid twenties, you know, and I think, I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, young people and protecting young people, um, which is really negative because, um, we're not recognizing that a, l- a lot of people discover who they are when they're quite young and, mm. and we should be protecting those people and making sure that they have have a good experience if they want to come out um, whether mm. they're trans bi gay lesbian you know I think I think there's a lot of challenges at the moment and a lot of stuff that seems like great progress and understanding is brilliant to see but I think it's it's still compartmentalized to like younger people and I think Mm. younger people are fantastic because they get it um so you know I think the media is very much anti-LGBT people you know Mm. the headlines you see and I I I always feel attack on one is attack on all um and I'm, I'm really really keen to make sure that um you know my politics is always as inclusive as possible as a disabled MP as well as an LGBT mm. MP um mm-hmm. I think it's really really important um but yeah so yeah it's difficult to find hope sometimes and um mm-hmm. it it can uh, it can definitely be be a challenge uh, every day I think what's the point and then I think mm-hmm. no this is the point um and my telephone is just ringing so I'll get that <laughs> is that okay you of get course. your you get your telephone yeah. and we'll hop back on and whenever you're free So uh, I we, we we touched on sort of the youth uh, youth engagement with politics and climate the work you do with the climate and um, I just wanted to ask you about the sort of the, the the voting age in this country which is eighteen but there's a there's been campaigns for years to lower the voting age to sixteen and I remember being sixteen and watching the election that you spoke about at the beginning Jesse you know in two thousand and ten and feeling very frustrated that I couldn't take part because it was literally going to affect me within a matter of months mm. but, um uh so you know and and sixteen year olds they can they have really valid opinions they are massively active campaigners often you know Fridays future we see see youth engagement with that all over the world you know they contribute to the economy what's what's the sort of where are we at with lowering the voting age where do you see that going I um was recently at an event in parliament where I stood up and um was asked to just say a few words and to my to my horror (laughs) I was like I've been campaigning on this for a long time and then I was like 16 years in fact 
So wow. I was like, since I was 16. Um, and, you know, I've always I've always believed in votes at 16. I actually joined the Labour Party at 14. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think 15, 14. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, my views haven't changed since then. So well, you must have been chomping at the bit to start voting. Yeah. And, you know, I was knocking on doors trying to drag other people out to vote at 16, you know, um, mm. and being like, I can't vote. So you have to. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, not really. But yeah, it's um, so it's kind of it's, it feels very strange. And I think I think that, like you say, there's so much, especially around the climate that will affect younger people. Um, I think it's absolutely right that they should be enfranchised to to vote and and shouldn't kind of be pushed out of the equation and and you know one of the problems that we've got is a lot of young people don't vote um, yeah. and you don't get listened to if you don't vote right so mm-hmm. I think that there's you know if we were to kind of extend it to 16 I actually think that would encourage more young people to get into voting because Mm. um you know I just think that it would make people feel like they were valued and absolutely right you can earn a wage you can Mm. um you know do all sorts at 16 that that you know contributes to our society Mm -hmm. what was your first first job Olivia out of interest oh in a tea rooms oh maybe in a pub yeah, in the kitchen. <laughs> working in a pub. Working in a kitchen in a pub. Always around or, food. Yeah, always around food. Always <laughs> around food. <laughs> and yeah, and I worked in a, a little vegetarian tea rooms for like, yeah, a number of years on the weekends when I was, oh, nice. when I was like 15, <laughs> 16, yeah. So. Yeah, it is weird that you can work, at, you're working from, yeah, like a teen, when you're a teenager, but you can't vote until you're 18. It's, it is yeah. crazy. And I mean, we've spoken a little bit about how you have to be quite, well, you have to be very thick skinned to go into politics. And obviously it's worse, you know, if you're, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're LGBT, it's like all these different kind of layers to it. But, you know, you can, uh, you've spoken so inspirationally about that anyone can make a difference and you're really proof of that. So what would you say to someone who is, and particularly from a marginalized group, thinking of going into politics like what what advice would you give them or what kind of yeah so um I'll probably talk a bit more about my ADHD actually because I think Mm -hmm. now I understand that bit of myself I can kind of see why even though I probably have quite low self-esteem I put myself in very (laughs) difficult circumstances Mm -hmm. right being being a politician having to speak in front of people and and argue my case and and actually yeah having a thick skin but being my own worst critic um has has been a challenge and and you know I think that's the thing for me is that because I am my own worst critic it doesn't matter what other people will say to me mm-hmm. because I, I kind of already think it and, and know it and I'm always you can trying turn to it on its myself head. yeah so I'm always trying to better myself I, I want to be the best person I can be and I want to make the biggest changes that we can as well and I think um, I think for anyone who's in a marginalised group, it yeah, it's an absolute challenge, um, and you you do have to be a pioneer, um, which isn't isn't an easy thing to do. Um, but also, the people who see you and kind of know what you've gone through to get where you are, mm-hmm. it's such an inspiration. And I get so many people get in touch with me. Um, about you know talking openly about miscarriage about talking openly about ADHD saying that they think that I've really made a difference because they haven't heard their voice in parliament before so Mm. I think for any community you know if you've come from from whatever minority group you might be a part of whatever protected characteristics you may have I think it's really important that people's voices are captured in our political debates Mm. um because I really believe you know if women are sat around the table if um black and Asian people are sat around the table you know you're going to have a different conversation than than just stale pale and male Mm. (laughs) um so you know I'd say actually the hopeful thing is that there are some really great people coming Mm -hmm. through now and parliament is looking very different from a few years ago um especially my intake of mps which was you know i think we only had like two or three men get elected in 2019 when most of us were women most of us were from local government most of us were um uh, black or asian or minority ethnic um 
handful of us were I think we were three of us were the first kind of openly queer or by female MPs so you know it's it's kind of like it feels like there's change and that's mm-hmm. a really positive thing um, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't take the politics out of it I think that the politics is just as important because you can yeah. have representation with bad politics mm-hmm. um, and and so I think it has to be about bringing people with you and you know that's why I said earlier about you know I was pleased I wasn't the youngest woman and and that was Mm -hmm. just like the end of it I was pleased that there was other young women coming through after me and I hope that more disabled people will come into parliament or more people will open up about being disabled in parliament Mm. because I'm definitely not the only neurodivergent MP (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know it's um and and I know I'm not and other people have spoken about dyslexia um and, and and ADHD as well but it's it's really important and uh to have that representation and um yeah, yeah absolutely and, change. and where yeah. are we at now we've got like 35 percent of MPs are women is that um yeah I think it's roughly that so we're doing we're doing a lot better in Labour though because we've got um we've got over 50 percent now in the Labour Party in the PLP or women um which you know was because we lost quite a few seats but um but like I said a huge number of our newer MPs were women at the last election so yeah it's positive I've got a question, Olivia, which um, I, I always kind of, when watching watching the debates on TV, you know, Prime Minister's questions, all of this stuff, there's, there is a certain amount of like ancient pomp and ceremony and I guess theatrics to do with, with, the, with our parliamentary system and, you know, all of the kind of ancient kind of terminology and, rah, 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 <laughs> and all of that. I think I remember feeling like totally disassociative, like disassociated with what I can see on the telly. And do you think that's an issue for, you know, particularly younger voters or people who are not engaged with politics, seeing this kind of like quite stale, old, kind of strange theatrical way of debating the issues of our society that are so modern in such an old way? So I'm probably going to get myself in a lot of trouble with other MPs because I'm big on reform and um, (laughs) I think that like a lot of people really love it and I get it and it's like you know it's it's tradition to a certain extent but I think like I, I would like look at other places and just think actually is the level of debate better in our system than you know Holyrood who have a very different setup and you know I, like I think that the adversarial nature of our chamber is you know it's built in um and they want to keep that and they want it you know your two swords width away from the opposite, the opposite side you know it's it's all about that and um and it's it's designed to be very heated and and not about consensus building um which I think is something that's missing from British politics a lot of the time is yeah. is trying to build consensus and it's always about division and mm. and pitting people against each other which isn't really very me um but I I can argue my case as as, as much as the next MP yeah um but I think you know sometimes you get drawn into it though and it's quite difficult not to like be outraged by what someone says in the chamber yeah. um that's yeah. so interesting what you're saying about how like the physical structure of the room itself and the building, you know, literally facing opposite each other on these bright, bright, <laughs> bright um, leather seats yeah. in two swords with like that's it is interesting how that's like part of the structure of the room is the physical sp- the physical space reflects the mood it's yeah. trying to create. And, some, and, and something that. else simple, like the fact that there isn't there literally isn't enough seats for all the MPs and I think you know I was, I was talking to someone about um, them doing up parliament which you know it's literally crumbling there's bits of the building falling off and things like that so it, it needs doing um, but talking about how you know that they, they're not going to address that in the in the revamp you know they're not going to make it as ex- more accessible it's you know it's going to be the same so it's kind of like you know that's mm. why you see us all crowded around in PMQs because there's literally just not enough space in the chamber. Yeah. We need to go back to Arthur, like Arthur's round table, don't we? Much more <laughs> hope is a round table. I was thinking like outdoor. You know, like schools do those outdoor classroom days to see like a few outdoor sessions. Like I'd love that on the grass I mean, outside. I'd personally love Parliament to be brought to Sheffield. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> a bit different. Yeah, it would. Yeah. <laughs> It's a radical idea. 
So the final part of the podcast, Olivia, is we ask our guests for a prescription for hope and we call it kind of hope in a hurry. So when you're looking for a bit of hope, what what do you turn to? We're going to ask you for your hopeful read first. So this could be a book, a magazine, newspaper. Uh, oh, hopeful read, newspaper. Um, <laughs> so quite, quite a few different things, really. So... Um, I kind of was talking to my staffer about this and we were like discussing different books we'd read and um, she reminded me of Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit and I'd picked it up again mm. this week and and just remembered actually that's a really great book because it it kind of you know feels sometimes like we're against it all and um, and uh, we kind of can forget all the wins that we've had in the past so that book's great because it kind of goes through lots of different um different regions of the world different time periods where there's been similar kind of um fights and I, I mean she wrote that off the back of the Iraq war so it spoke to me quite a lot because that was one of my political awakenings so um you know what can progressives do you know when when the, all this bad things is, bad stuff is happening but I don't mm. know I think there's some really good kind of like quite radical um radical stuff out there at the moment I quite like uh reading Tribune that's quite an interesting read um I think that they get interesting voices in that um and I like listening to any random podcast on politics because I always think that um I dip into different ones just to see what people are saying and I think that you find positivity right across the board on those so yeah I think it's good and it's it's a difference that we didn't have when mm. 10 even 10 years ago so yeah I feel yes, like it's, it's so true we what, what did we do before we had podcasts I don't what did know. we listen to the radio I guess I don't know yeah. I guess people that's what I call radio, music but... number 89 <laughs> yeah. 89 yeah absolutely. I know you're a big radio fan Tilly but yeah I don't um yeah yeah, it's strange. And social media, I guess you can connect people in a more intimate way now. Definitely. And like, people know what's going on. So have you got a hopeful watch that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, so quite often when I'm on Netflix or whatever, um, I'll look at, um, at some of the things that are on there. And I found Knock Down the House um like at a point where I was kind of revving up for the general election here and kind of feeling like I needed some inspiration and just you know seeing these group of kind of younger mainly progressives kind of trying to get um get their foot in the door basically in American politics and kind of Mm -hmm. feeling like you know I've always kind of felt a little bit like an outsider right because um you know, I'm a bit of a quirky person. So I think in politics, it's quite important that, you know, no matter where you come from, you you have to have those kind of organising and fighting spirit. And I think that's what that film kind of really shows is actually, you know, that group of people working collectively to to make change and get strong voices like AOC Mm -hmm. into the the House of Representatives and and into Congress. It's it's so, so important. and it's it's that kind of pivotal moment that we're in at the moment where a lot of the answers that people are reaching for are probably not progressive and are very restrictive of our rights and it can be seen as quite a troubling time but I think where you see like little glints of hope or you know the progressive answers to some of the bigger questions we've got like climate crisis you know that's where we can kind of gather um gather our um energy around and kind of fight mm. for the change that we want to see but i'd also just say anything by sir david attenborough <laughs> i just oh, yeah. you know I, I love david attenborough and i have ever since i was a small child he's probably the reason i did science um you oh. know um just always been fascinated by the natural world and and biology so yeah Yeah. and always put that on when I need that's great um you mentioned before um political podcasts but is there any kind of a hopeful listen is there any one in particular that you tend to turn to yeah I mean I really enjoy um watching we're listening to the Manchester Green New Deal podcast actually um so they're they're like a really good podcast and I've, I've been interviewed on on there as well not pushing my episode um (laughs) (laughs) 
and they yeah they took it to lots of different kind of like young climate activists talking about how we can make a green new deal um work um and yeah really just trying to keep the pressure up on those issues and i think it's just really yeah it's a hopeful listen and and one that I think more people should tune into. I think they've recently changed their name, so they've dropped the Manchester bit. But um, yeah, okay. it's 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 a good good listen. We'll link to well, it we'll be- yeah in the show notes so that everyone can find it as well. If you want more Olivia Blake, she's on there. <laughs> she's everywhere. Um, and we are going to ask you finally for a hopeful anthem to play. I always look forward to this one because this is like they're always really different. Yeah, I think like. I've been thinking, um, do you know what, this is so cheesy, isn't it? But, you know, if you ever get invited onto Desert Island Discs, I think I would be in an absolute panic because I just love so much different types of music and I've got so many songs that, like, mean so, so much to me. Um, But one that I always... Yeah, it would definitely, definitely be an eclectic mix. And I probably think of... Can I give you three? Is that really cheeky? <laughs> give us, give us your top three, and but you've got to pick one to play us out because we're going to play thirty okay. seconds of it. Okay, cool, cool. So, like one that is kind of, I've probably nicked off my mum to be honest. Is I used to listen to it in the car. Is Talking Heads, um, oh. once, once in a lifetime, and that might sound a bit strange because it's it's a song that's really about like not noticing stuff happening and then ending up, you know with your beautiful wife and your beautiful house and all this commercialization stuff um, and kind of asking yourself, how did, how did I get here? And I think for me, that's like, it's quite empowering because it's like, we should all be stopping and thinking like, why are we here? How did we get here? Um, And reflecting on, on that because so often it's so easy to just kind of be ground down by (laughs) everyday life that you kind of lose sight of, of what you're doing and and where you're going and I think in certainly in times of change I've I've often reached for that um as a song I'm it's gonna have to give song. you four because I've got four now I've just thought <laughs> it's just that the word changing yeah turning and into like, just top like four, Lowe's top 40 yeah, hits like, yeah, this my is top the desert island <laughs> that's a podcast <laughs> <laughs> no um, and then the other one from my mum is is Bob Dylan and times they are changing mm-hmm. um yeah another one that, Love that I just remember I always I'm like so cheesily like I, I know that in 2010 after the general election I just quote tweeted well quote Facebook to that and was like yeah you know it's just sad that we're still where we are in my view but there we go um and then this is one that I was just listening to this week because I start my one of my little dogs because I have two dogs Willow who's with me today and then Arthur Arthur's a rescue and for some reason and I have a terrible singing voice so I have no idea how he has got this out of me but when I sing to Arthur he really really calms down and he's also a big fan of Brian Eno's music so if he's ever kicking off I put Brian Eno's um, music for airports in on and it chills him right out um, and he loves it um, and um, he, he, he also co-wrote that Talking Head song actually Um and um, so I kind of sing to him and sometimes I just sing songs I haven't heard for years. And like Lewis will be like, my husband, um, will be like, I've never heard that song. And I'm like, what? And one of those songs was Tracy Chapman um, oh. talking about the revolution. Oh, that's a classic. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> Protest <laughs> song 101. Exactly. So yeah, that's another one. Um, but yeah. I and love then finally. Oh, okay, fourth one. Go on. <laughs> fourth one. <laughs> Um, Willie Mason's Oxygen as well. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Olivia, I feel like we've got the same taste in music. Possibly. I've got a Talking Heads tattoo. Oh, do you? Oh, I my do gosh. not know that. There you go. What, the, what lyrics says, have you got? It's This Must Be The this Place. This Must Be The Place, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another this is the place. This this right here yeah, is, this the, is place. the place. The good vibes. <laughs> I love that we've had Arthur's your dog's favorite songs as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, so, which one would you right. pick to play us out? Oh, for Arthur, um, Tracy Chapman. Yes, talking about the revolution. Don't you know? We're talking about a revolution. Sounds. 
Don't you know her? Talking about a revolution It sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Oh, uh- well, that's your prescription from Olivia Blake. And we'll put all of those in the show notes so you can see them and listen to them. Um, and I think that's basically the end of our time with you, Olivia. So thank you so much for joining us. How can people keep up with you, follow what you're doing? Yeah, um, I mean, I have a TikTok with one video um, <laughs> of Arthur rolling over to um, Lady Gaga, so don't follow me on TikTok. Um, <laughs> but I do have an Instagram and um, a Twitter, so you can follow me on, on Twitter. Um, it's just at underscore Olivia Blake, because um, unfortunately my name is quite popular now, so there's there's quite a few <laughs> Olivia Blakes out there. Um, and yeah, you can follow, I think it's the same on Instagram as well. Um, and I've got a Facebook page. So if you want to keep up to date, you can do that. I also, for anyone living in Sheffield or anyone who's interested, do a newsletter that you can sign up to on my website as well, which is just like one newsletter once a month. Um, and oh, you great. Can hear I'll definitely that sign up. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure. And thank you for squeezing no, us nice. in. I know you're a very busy woman. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And it's nice to actually stop and think about hope once in a while um, (laughs) because it can get a bit uh, draining when you're thinking about all the things, you know, especially this week when we've had inflation going up and all Mm. that, you know, it's it's quite a trying time for a lot of people. So it is is good, good, good. We all need some hope in our lives. Definitely. Thanks, Olivia. Thank you for joining us. Here's to the future. Absolutely. How did you find it? Well, I've been totally wooed by Olivia Blake. I think she's awesome. You want to and be her friend now, don't you? I want to be her friend. And like, you know, we're both in Sheffield. So and we've met on the podcast now. So if I just like drop into her Friday advice <laughs> sessions, even though she's not my MP. <laughs> I can just enough. go around and yeah, say hi. <laughs> um, yeah, I just find it so... I I love talking to people who work in politics because their passion is very Mm -hmm. inspiring. And you just think it's, you know, I always feel so downbeat. I often feel very downbeat about the state of the world and the state of our political system, political Mm -hmm. system. But I, you know, feel inspired whenever I speak to someone who's actually doing the job because they're they're in there in the in the midst of it all. Yeah, definitely. And in your in the intro, you were saying, you know, who would do this job because it is so all consuming. She's literally like squeezes in today around numerous appointments. She took a had to stop to take a call. Like she's such mm. a busy woman, and you know it is incredibly hopeful because you go into politics wanting to make a difference and putting yourself out there and having to be very thick-skinned. I know, you know, it may not always seem like all politicians are in it because they want to make a change to the world, but ultimately that is, you know, what people go into it for. And it's just, yeah, it's incredible, especially as a young woman, a young LGBT woman, and just what she's, that she's being that person that other people can see, that other people can then follow and yeah, pave way. It makes me want to get more engaged with local politics. Mm -hmm. I think what the conversation today has done is made me kind of more hopeful for local politics. You know, people like Olivia doing the work. Yeah. You know, if they're all like Olivia, then then we're in good hands. And, and also, but you know, to taking taking more of an interest like showing up to things Mm. like like engaging with the system because the system is there for us and you know there are so many ways to make change and engaging within the system is one of those ways yeah absolutely it's so so important I think I read a stat somewhere saying that um and I guess it must be different for different groups but I think for women apparently there's a stat that women have to be asked seven times to stand for like to to go into politics because they're so like they're less likely to put themselves forward I'm not sure why like whether that's like you know uh, social reasons or it could be just because it's not maybe Mm. a welcoming environment like as much of a welcoming environment it's very macho still um but yeah I think that's so interesting that there's still yeah there's still definitely um people who kind of feel that it's a bigger jump to go into politics and actually it's so important for everyone to kind of feel like they could and yeah make a difference because everyone can make a difference it's true um 
Well, thank you very much for listening today. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, then head to our webpage and you can see our other podcasts. We've got loads of different episodes with amazing people. And that's all at www.wedohope.org. And you can also follow the podcast on social media, which is at wedohope underscore podcast. Um, yeah and if yeah. you enjoyed it just uh share it with a mate if you think anyone is interested in politics or if just you could do with some hope and you think you've got friends who'd like it and please do rate review and subscribe and all that jazz and thank you so much and we'll see you next time bye this podcast is brought to you by amos trust a small creative human rights organization based in the uk Amos aims to challenge injustice, restore rights and create hope, working with grassroots partners in three main areas, street justice, Palestine justice and climate justice. They work in creative, responsive and collaborative ways to bring about local solutions to global issues. For more details, please visit amostrust.org.